0: Welcome to Buildcast, where we delve into the backstories of experts and other players in the built environment to reveal their journey and how they got built. Join us in our conversation to learn from their life experiences, to be the catalyst for innovation, and to make sustainable building mainstream building. Now, here is your host and the principal thinker at Build Tank Inc., Robbie Schwarz.
1: Mark La Liberté almost needs no introduction to the Buildcast audience. In the world of building science, there are a few superhero promoters of doing the right thing in the houses that we build. Mark is definitely one of those rock stars. He is president of construction instruction, a tremendous educator and speaker, and works with nearly 5,000 builders and architects a year. His particular gift is being able to communicate building physics in a fun and attainable way that is engaging and informative for the average non-scientist. He's now building a net zero home and in Mark fashion, using it as a demonstration project to continue the promotion of proper applied building science. If you're going to attend the 2022 EBA Summit in Scottsdale, Arizona, take the opportunity to tour the house. I really enjoyed my conversation. I want to thank Mark for taking some time out of his busy schedule to be on the BuildCast. Please enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Buildcast. I have the great pleasure of speaking with Mark Liberté, the president of Construction Instruction. How are you, Mark? I'm doing good, Robbie. So good to see you. Uh, you and I have known each other for such a long time. It's such a
2: pleasure to see you again.
1: Yeah, I was thinking um, about that and remembering one of the first times I met you was at a um, American Lung Association house uh that was being house. For a parade of homes here in colorado uh you came that's right from- that was health house that was a while ago yeah yeah so did you um uh get into all of this uh through that program or i, I know you worked for uh a, a pioneering company in minnesota Shel- shelter is it shelter source up there
2: yep shelter we had yeah we had a couple companies actually we had uh i started in about 1984 and my, my degree was in solar engineering, and so then, what we did is um, started a company called shelter supply that would have been eighty four eighty five and then um, we were doing energy efficient building products, mechanical ventilation, gaskets um, sealants all that stuff that we thought people were going to actually going to use in the near future um, and that was like a hundred years ago and so we kind of did a lot of that and, and at that stage about nineteen eighty nine. I started working with somebody at the Minnesota American Lung Association, and that idea was to say, how could we help uh, improve lung health? Because we knew that uh, respiratory asthma amongst children was up about 70% in a previous 12-year cycle, and so they thought you know, the indoor environment would be so beneficial, so they, we helped create a program with people like Mac Pierce and Gary Nelson and a whole bunch of great old friends of ours, and um, so that got to be pretty significant with the Minnesota chapter, that it got to be a more national chapter as well, so the U. The national office then took on it, took it on as well.
1: Yeah, and it, unfortunately, it seems to have just died away. It- yeah, like
2: like many things, you know, they're all. It's always about funding, you know, and so when you've got programs like that, they have to find a way that it's either corporately funded. So a lung association like that is all nonprofit, of course. So somebody would have to come in every year, continually sponsor a program, or they would have to assign fees to it, which would create enough to hold. A pretty substantial amount of um, of revenue so you know or programs like that and what they try to do is control it they try to own it instead of saying we just like to put our name on things that represent indoor health and indoor air quality that would have been better but when they tried to own the program and then label it that
1: always creates a bunch of problems
2: <laughs> so yeah. it's yeah. always about money that
1: way you know did you yeah. um Get your start in in building science through the solar engineering program? Or um did you really yep. get that passion afterwards?
2: Well, I was actually, you know, there for sure, because um when I started we started shelter supply in Minneapolis, we considered ourselves experts at selling products nobody wanted. Mm-hmm. And um so what the only way you can pull that together is to uh go out and train people. So we were selling, we brought the first HRVs in the US. In about 1983 or 84 when uh, guys i was working with um uh, mike porter and, and joe lawless we brought the first uh, vani into the u.s so Vanny was being made in saskatoon saskatchewan and it's actually where i met uh, one of these the great building science people around Gord cook um and so i've known Gord for 35 plus years and so we brought the first hrvs in because in minnesota of course being so cold we had lots of condensation issues and all of that going on so that really brought that up to um Working with builders and then working with uh, trade contractors, HVAC contractors, to teach them about how to install ventilation systems, even exhaust-only um, and and HRVs. So that goes back again a long way. And then I started going to the first EBA conference. I think the first one I went to was in 1984, and then I was president of the, uh, of, of EBA in uh, 1972. So that was early on when that became so. Of course, and I'd been to um, every one of almost every one of Joe's uh, summer camps as well uh, at Joe Seabrik's camps. And then that always keeps that building science knowledge fresh, you know, and lots of friends like you.
1: Yeah. Um, and then you must, were you instrumental in uh, codes in Minnesota?
2: Yeah, myself and uh, another great uh, building science fellow, Pat Hillman, and and Pat Hillman is just as good as they get, of course, and he came from the University of Iowa and then moved up to Minnesota and created the Cold Climate Research Center, which was housed in the St. Paul campus, and that was under the umbrella of the Forest Products Lab, which was there at the University of Minnesota South St. Paul campus, and the Forest Products Lab took on a real ownership in um, really how buildings performed in relationship to durability and and, and all of that. Um, and they had a, a strong interest in forestry, of course, as a kind of a, a home for Minnesota, you know, warehouser, and all the companies that had some bases there. And then also they had the Underground Space Center, which was a revolutionary center. It went down almost, uh, I think it was down 10 floors into the ground. And the Underground Space Center was designed part of the university campus to study underground culture and underground living. And uh, that was where um Dr. Uh, uh, Louise Goldberg was. And she was also a pretty big pioneer in building science along with Pat Hellman. So Pat and I would then do training all over, the, all over the state of Minnesota. So we would do 20 training sessions a year for probably a decade. And we would travel around every winter, go to all the HBAs and do a, a co-training on building science together. And so uh, I was fortunate enough to work with Pat for such a long time learning all the things that he was learning at the research center too.
1: And they're really the only state that seems to uh, mandate um, balanced ventilation and um, really, they also govern how you install uh, vapor retarders instead of just requiring them, which is is huge, I think as well. And I'm guessing largely because of you and Pat. Yeah, Pat and I had a big part of that because early on we were
2: were really concerned about something else, you know, I remember in, In about 82 or 83, about 83, we were doing some uh, early blower door testing uh, with Gary's, some of his stuff. And what we did is the guys were turning on a blower door, of course, and he would start caulking and sealing. And then all of a sudden when the blower door got to 1500 CFM, you would shut it off. And uh, and now you're done. The problem with that, of course, in those earliest days of air sealing was that the repercussions were, of course, air quality issues, but it was also combustion safety. And so what we got very adamant about it at the university was uh, looking at how critical it was that we were able to depressurize houses well beyond the ability for atmospheric appliances to vent. So in order to create that strategy, we had these, um, these programs that said if you have atmospherically vented appliances in the building, you have to... Um, um, make sure that you 've got uh, either a significant amount of makeup air to balance that pressure differential um, or um, or have a, a ventilation system that would accommodate it. All range fans had to be made up so now when you look at now it's it's it 's in place like four hundred c f m in, in excess has to have makeup air, but we were doing that back in in the late eighties early nineties and and the idea there was that Minnesota was at such risk that we had pretty tight buildings, and we had lots of examples of combustion safety problems, combustion spillage into the building. So it was the first state that said combustion safety governed a lot of these changes. So first you have to make sure the building is safe. Then you would look at ventilation, then you would consider tightness. And it was kind of in that order because that was critical. And then what they did is they set up a really good protocol saying, if you have all sealed combustion equipment, then you had a lot more flexibility in exhaust capacity. And what that forced the builders to do is to make an economics decision. Well, if I go with the sealed combustion furnace, that is cheaper than me trying to go to an atmospherically vented appliance and make up all the uh, makeup air, anything over 150 CFM. So it was a really good uh, chicken and egg thing because it forced that whole marketplace to switch over to all sealed combustion and all mechanical
1: ventilation. Wow that's really cool that uh, to be involved at that that stage. Um, what do you think um uh interests you to to even begin with the uh solar energy uh engineering program? Well, I think part of it was just that remember, you know, in
2: 1974 was the oil embargo, right? And um that was really the first um driver towards conservation as being even a concern or an issue. And so um I got real interested in just what's that?
1: I'm sorry he didn't want to just put on a sweater like jimmy carter was asking us to
2: do? well we all had to do that anyway because it was it was hard to stay warm living in minnesota anyway it didn't even matter how much heat you had and um so i i, I think part of that was that by about 19 uh, i suppose uh late 70s um i was kind of interested in what was going on there and there were programs or companies like um uh you know the the guys did the, the quilted shades and they were doing all kinds of things i don't if you remember that the window quilt was a company out of vermont and they had a track on the side and they would lower the shade down and it would insulate the window and then of course you'd raise it up in the morning and the window was all frozen but uh but the idea was that we started seeing this conservation stuff come along and so it just seemed like something i i, I should have forgotten about gone into some other industry but i decided to stay with this one for some reason and um couldn't be couldn't be happier of course but um, it's been a bit of a longer slog to improve the efficiency of what we do than, than uh, it probably should have been.
1: Yeah. Did you take um, classes in public speaking? You're such a good speaker.
2: No. Well, thank you so much, Beth. Um, uh, no, actually, what it is is when I, it was so funny when I, re- I revert back just a quick comment about selling products nobody wanted, is that I, I had to start learning how to stand in front of audiences of builders, heating contractors. Um, anything that um, uh, would help move that product mix along. But you had to first talk about why ventilation and why that mattered. So when Pat and I were traveling around doing our um, our lecturing, you just have to get better at it, right? You have to make it fun. It's got to be funny. It's got to make sure that physics isn't too boring because physics can be boring. So most of this was about how do you stand in front of an audience for seven and a half hours and make it fun? And and you got to learn how to just do that. So I think it's most of it was just from trial and error. Uh, but thank you very much. That's very kind. Yeah, yeah. And what um
1: what happened after shelter source and before um construction instruction?
2: Yeah, good question. Now we we sold shelter supply. So the company was shelter
1: supply, shelter sales, and shelter source. So
2: those three companies, one of them was a consulting group that did uh utility programs and and uh and speaking gigs. The other one is called Shelter Supply, which was the company that was a distribution arm for ventilation equipment, gaskets, and stuff like that. And then Shelter Sales was a company that was a manufacturer's rep for products once they reached a level of maturity. And we sold that company to a utility that purchased us right, by, right when deregulation was happening. And they bought us in 2000. So then after that, I, I started another company called Billy Knowledge. And Billy Knowledge was a company that we started doing some of the consulting things. And I brought uh, Pat O'Malley, which is uh, he was, you know, one of the great fellows that I'd had the pleasure to meet. I hired him first at Shelter Supply, and then he stayed with me at Building Knowledge. And then I brought another fellow in named uh, Ed Vontoma, and Ed Vontoma used to be with Pulte, and, or Centex, I should say. Ed was with Centex. And he came in to join the business. And then i think thinking about, um, I'm thinking 2010 or so, um, I sold that company to Pat and to um, Ed, and they now run Building Knowledge very successfully in Minnesota still and um so there's another great group and then i met uh justin wilson who now create we created uh construction instruction together
1: yeah and is is building knowledge canada a completely separate company are they sister companies or
2: it is nope the uh, good good question uh building knowledge canada what's such an awesome group with gourd cook they're just uh they just do such an extraordinary job of building uh science and and blurred our testing and diagnostics they're just awesome but they were completely different companies so they just kind of agreed to coexist with similar names which Gord thought it was a cool name and i thought it was a cool name so i didn't think there was any reason to make it uh, anything other than that so
1: yeah great and now now with construction instruction uh it's it's really uh, starting to balloon and, and uh gain some traction it seems like
2: yeah i think so you know construction instruction is really an uh, an outgrowth of um you, Justin and I and Gord were all traveling all over the place, and I was traveling, you know, an enormous amount every year, just doing talking and lecturing and working with companies. And so we decided um, to create an app. So the app was created about it's almost 14 years now that the app was first created. When they were first coming out, uh, we created the app, and the app has now become it's probably the most downloaded app in the industry. But it's got about 190,000 downloads, I think. But we probably have over 10,000 assets on the app. So we started building the app as a tool because. People would get done at the end, and they'd say, hey, Mark, good to talk. That was great. But um, is there something I can get after that? Could I just get your slides? And you're like, no, I can't just give you slides. In the early days, I hate to bring this up, but I was using transparency. So that tells you how old I am. But uh, but the slides were really – it was like, no, you can't have that. And then we, of course, the PowerPoints, you don't want to send a PowerPoint file out to somebody because they don't know what the pictures were. It's some proprietary – you know, it's a little bit of uh, – you know, um, content that you own. Um, But I would say part of it was that the app gave us a a piece of residual material. And then Justin and I and Gord about five years ago said that, you know, for all this traveling, why don't we bring builders to us? So uh, for CI, we then created Construction Instruction Live. And that was an event that first started in Phoenix. We had two years in Phoenix to kind of proof of concept. And then now we built the facility out in denver near the airport it's about seven miles from the airport and that's a pretty cool space i think uh i was talking to justin this morning he's building some mock walls and uh it's become such a great spot to do education training field research and um, really get everybody together to to uh, collaborate and so it's really really been fun
1: yeah and how often are you there
2: um i would probably say that i'm there maybe twice a month is when i try to get there um i live in currently in in, uh, in just north of Scottsdale in a small town called Cave Creek. And so it's up just north of Scottsdale. And I'm about 3,600 feet elevation and Phoenix is about a thousand feet. So it runs about 15 degrees cooler mostly. We actually had snow last Wednesday. And um, so I live here and then we just communicate back and forth. We, of course, since COVID have been doing a lot of Zoom calls. We do a lot of uh, videotaping. I have a green screen that I work with that we kind of do a lot of filming on to reduce the amount of travel back and forth. And I'm still traveling quite a bit as well, some some to the West Coast. Uh I'll leave tomorrow for, for Redwood City, California, to work in that in that market as well.
1: Yeah. Did you make it to the builder
2: show? I did, yeah. The uh builder show this year I had a couple of talks that I gave there, but more importantly it was uh it was really such a good confidence builder, Robbie. You know, I I I think that it was interesting to see the place. You know, when you first got there, everybody was a little unsure. Will anybody show up, first of all? And if they show up, what's gonna be the attitude? You know, are people gonna be cool and what's gonna happen there? So, NHB had a pretty good program, I think. That when you first got there, you had to show uh, either vaccination or a a couple days free of COVID. Then they gave you a green wristband. And then every day as you walked in, they uh, had to see that you had a green wristband and then they would let you in. And they wanted everybody in in the hall to wear a mask, I didn't see the final numbers. I was guessing around 30,000 people might have come, but the place was packed and uh, the uh, all the sponsors were happy, all the companies were there were, were happy and um, the builders were pretty cool. So a lot of decision makers came, but the masks didn't last too long. Um, yeah. Walking around the hall, I think people kind of decided that, that that was enough and um, I didn't see too much of that. But every, nobody was cared if you wear a mask like it is now, go ahead, it's totally okay. If you don't want to wear a mask, it's okay but that's kind of the the vibe that was there.
1: Yeah, Uh, what were you speaking on?
2: Well, I just did a talk in the, uh, the, uh, there's a little area there um, where they were doing some construction details, which was really pretty fun. And they've really perfected that well in the building zone. And uh, the building zone really has two stages, of course, and both stages were separated just by an audience. It was pretty well done. I thought uh, Cheryl Lewis did a beautiful job of kind of orchestrating this give and take between one stage and it was always only 30 minutes long. And then they would say, okay folks, the next one's starting in 30 seconds. <laughs> On the other side, they would flip around and somebody was always setting up a detail and I thought they did a great job there. So I spoke there one time with um, Mike Girton, who's always been a long-term friend and then uh, and then uh, Travis was there. So it was really pretty fun, uh, fun day and I enjoyed that. Cool.
1: Um, and you're doing more and more in California, it seems like.
2: I am. Yeah. California's become a place, of course, where net zero is going to be the the prominent construction methodology. And we know that that's kind of an industry over there. So there's a company over there called Hayward Lumber who's asked me to come and do some, uh, be working with those guys a bit. And so they're trying to help their industry in that region between Santa Barbara and Redwood City improve construction practices, look at the idea of ventilation, consider better uh, rain management, um, do a better job of the whole thing that we've all been advocating and i think it's been really cool to see one company um really say we want to make sure that we communicate with art all the trades and all the builders and say whatever it takes let's just make that happen so it's been a really enjoyable thing where they i just did last week i did a couple of uh, product knowledge demos on how to manage rain and we built three-sided mock-ups on wheels and just spun them around and talked about flashing and rain screens and why all that stuff matters it was really really quite cool
1: that's great, and. Uh, Are you involved in the Hayward Score as well, uh, with the indoor air quality side of it?
2: Well, Bill Hayward, who created Hayward Score, has got that as a separate company. So he, uh, I just consult with him a little bit to see what he's what he's doing with it. But I think he's got over ninety thousand people who've responded to the uh, kind of a survey of their homes, and the data is quite quite alarming. Actually, it's uh, really interesting to see that when you have such a diverse um, group to draw from, which was anybody who wanted to take the take the test it was free and it still is i believe at HaywardScore.com. i think is what their site is and and what they were getting back is this tremendous data about how many people have really sick houses um people saying i feel really incredibly unhealthy I've, I've found mold you know i've got some a bunch of issues that i'm worried about my house is making me sick um and i think then they went to the uh, u.s military actually and said that a lot of our military uh, housing um is pretty pretty subpar um and they were finding out bases that had um some of our servicemen and women's families were in houses that were pretty pretty tough shape. Uh, a lot of mold in them, very unhealthy buildings. And so the US military is trying to do a better job of looking at how do they improve the housing stock of our service people. And so I think that that's um, such a, an important phase of that. So that is Hayward Score and they're working on things like ventilation and some of that for schools and uh, restaurants actually. Yeah,
1: that's interesting that they're they're doing that because the military, Uh, And the government in general has has kind of been mandating um, that housing is built to one of the government programs, Uh, often Energy Star sometimes lead, I think, Uh, but they don't seem to carry it out very well.
2: Well, I think the problem is, it's a really good question. I would say that some of the houses in the last probably five years or so have had intermittent success at being better. Some of the older stuff is pretty, pretty bad. And um, I would say what happens is that, remember there's independent contractors that kind of do some of the work, some of them skilled, some of them not, not quite as skilled. So I think you can set a standard, of course, like we've seen, but if you don't execute on that standard between training and trades making sure that it gets done validating it in the field it doesn't get done and you know that better than anybody Robbie that when you when you see the the, the quality of work that gets missed not intentionally I mean nobody wakes up and goes today I'm going to do a crappy day and I'm going I'm to be slobby they just do what they did the day before so the challenge is really helping our trades be successful by saying this is what you have to execute today and I think some of the bases haven't had that and there's been some pretty poor quality work to be
0: honest
1: yeah i think that's the the validation side is is uh super important i i did some follow-up at peterson uh air force base here in Colorado springs and uh that that was really the the key of it was that you know they had all the components but they didn't right you know no one was there to watch them put them all together uh in the right way i was interesting i was i we've just had that big fire in. Um, in boulder county sure. and uh, devastating at a builder event uh, over the weekend and one of the things that we were talking about was was codes because they're they're all about the increased codes increasing the cost of construction and whatnot and we were kind of talking about the difference between codes and these programs that they're getting incentives to, to build to and when it comes down to it it's the difference between the 2021 IECC and Energy star is really validation and, and not validation of uh, verification uh, of the program you've got a third party verifier versus a code official that might or might not actually require that you do something that the, that the code is asking you to do good. So' it's, it's, a, it's an interesting. Point yeah I think I it's a very good that, observation.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good observation, Bobby, because we know that we know that setting a standard is is great. And and all of us argue and debate over the finest details of the standard, you know. Um, and then when it comes to the field is when it also falls apart. And and I think the frustration for all of us is just that, you know, this is 37 years, I think, for me, something like that. When I, the frustration for me is just that um, we have to get still very, very granular. And we got to make sure that we understand that trades change um uh, uh, in all levels from carpentry to to um you know hvac and we watch that um, but realized that so much happens on site you know you have you know 30 plus trade contractors all all kind of convening on one location and we hope throughout that that someone's really in charge of that and you know how difficult that is and some of the builders that are on uh, instagram for example they just are always posting like there's a detail here's a detail here's something you can't forget what about the base of wall and we realize how complex it is to build on site which is kind of you know back to that whatever we all ever talk about in terms of um you penalize construction and, and and things like that but you trying to get anything done on site on, in the field is very difficult. It's raining, it's challenging weather and varying trades, and we have a labor shortage. So all of that makes this execution more difficult than the process we're trying to follow. We know what to do. We know how to build efficient buildings. We know how to make them tight. We know how to provide ventilation. We know how to water manage. All of that is clear, and nobody disagrees with the process, really. But it's the execution phase that's got us in such a pickle.
1: Yeah. To, to that point, it seems like production builders have a bit of an advantage over the custom builder in that they have that repeatability of it. Although their trades are are changing all the time, but um, they seem to have, have bought into the concept of using third-party verification and, and whatnot. Are you finding uh, that your work, or does your work uh, primarily focus on uh, custom builders or production builders,
2: or, or both? Uh, that's a- It's a great question Robbie. because i would love to say that um the production guys have got it dialed in it's a really good the the concept should work better than it does i would say that you know well too that when you've got especially in denver there you know the whole corridor there from really from uh, fort collins all the way down to colorado springs that corridor does have a lot of lot of high-end production builders and a lot of it is pre pre pre-packaged framing you know really when you look at pre-cut framing um but i think the difficulty there is that um The production builders have what you mentioned earlier, just a minute ago, that we have execution problems again, right? So I'm on a lot of sites here, a lot of sites here in Arizona, and it's really bad. So, um, so I would say that uh, the custom builders, in many ways, do a better job. And I think it's really interesting. You've got some builders there in Colorado. I think it's uh, Evergreen up there in 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 Colorado, outside of Denver, does an extraordinary job. But that becomes a personal commitment, right? So custom builders can say, listen, here's my Here's my level of expectation. My client has a lot of faith in me. They've given me a tremendous amount of money and a tremendous amount of faith that I can pull this off. I would say the network of Instagram kind of builders have really created a much better, deeper relationship with what needs to happen and what they show with each other. It's like, hey, Robbie, I just did this. What do you think? And you're like, hey, you knucklehead, don't do that. And I think they're like, okay, cool. Thanks for sharing that with me. Um, That's really changing a lot. I would say the production guys, we work with production now at CI. So we have a a nice class coming up in two weeks with one of the largest builders in the nation. And what they want to do is get all of their divisions. So imagine if you're a builder building in 23 markets. How does that ever have any consistency, right? If I'm going to build in Florida, Maryland, Texas, uh, Arizona, and, and and Nevada, and then another division up in Seattle, Can you imagine, and you can, all the variation in construction practice, weather practice, you know, in Texas, they don't use trusses, they hand frame. All of that complexity has to somehow get executed. So if you're a national builder, you can set a standard and say, here's our tightness and here's our weather protection program. The rest of it, God, I hope these guys figure it out when they get there. So it is is really hard. And I would say there's some production builders that are starting to figure out a way to do that. And that's what we're doing at CI a lot more. And I would say on the custom side, they're using their network to do it.
1: Yeah, I must be uh, uh, kind of in a bubble here. I think in in Colorado because it seems like the production builders are um, are doing a, a pretty good job. And since leaving Energy Logic and and starting to work more with uh, custom builders, it's really hard to find custom builders that uh, understand. Um, you know the the bones of the house versus just the aesthetics of the house um, there. So it's, I I I I often say that I think that the that the production builders are doing a better job uh, often because they have that repeatability, but it's also because almost everybody yeah. in Colorado uh, is using a third party for code compliance and for you know potentially program going beyond and whatnot and almost none of the production or the custom builders are Uh, and you end up getting in a little bit of a bubble with the Instagram builders as well because those guys are doing amazing things and they're all custom uh, builders Uh, but uh, it would be interesting to see how they grow that network
2: it's a great observation Robbie you know I, I would say that you know that's what's so difficult about this industry that you can go to pockets that are really doing a good job and like like Minnesota, I think they do a great job with with the custom and, and and production builders because they have to and I would say that there are markets where I'm in where you're right that the the repeatability should give consistency uh builders like uh Beezer, for example, I think Beezer's done a nice job of saying this is the only way that we're going to allow things to happen, and I think more of them of the of the national builders are doing it. You guys did such a great job, Robbie, when you look at that whole you know north range uh, or that that um Front uh, North, what they call it, the Front Range, uh, uh, repeat of that whole sector. You guys really helped change that marketplace. So uh, it's so funny that one company was able to change the way houses get built, and I think it's like that. It's company by company. Gord has had an amazing impact on Toronto, for example. So you you have uh, marketplaces where. Uh, I think even here in Arizona, I think uh, uh, Darren Washak uh, down here made some in- inroads trying to change things like that. So it's so funny, you know, how they say one person can make a difference. And I think that that's true yourself. You know, Stevie, uh, you know, Justin, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of stuff that have can make changes and it becomes so regional in some cases. But uh, you're right. I think we've got seg- segments where where production's probably better and custom is lacking, and then the opposite. So uh, that's a, it's a great observation.
1: That's interesting. So you're starting to to pull all of this together in your own project. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the project that you're working on.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure what I was thinking. Uh, the, uh, anytime you build your own place, you just kind of rub your your your, your temples and go, what was I thinking? So um, a few years ago, I've been working on a project up here in, in Cave Creek. It's a piece of land that I purchased a while ago. It's a couple acres up against the Tonto National Forest here. And I always wanted to build a, you know, really a, a low energy house. And, and this is a, a net zero house is my goal. And so I've got a whole bunch of different technologies in the house. So I've got four different wall systems. I've got SIPs roof, I've got ICF walls, I've got insulated slab. So I've done a whole bunch of things and it's gonna be covered, you'll see it um, by Professional Builder Magazine, it's called Desert Comfort. And the reason for that project was the idea that, you know, desert houses, oftentimes they try to, you know, we try to minimize windows and um, they still build pretty uncomfortable houses. They don't sheathe houses here for some reason. (laughs) They decided just to put stucco right on open studs. I haven't quite figured that out either. But I, so we're really doing some pretty cool things. I'm using triple glazed windows, you know, insulated slab. People would, when I was insulating the slab, they're like, this is totally stupid. And I can't believe you're doing this. Uh, insulated on the exterior. I've got r 30 walls using ICFs. I got an R you know, a 60 sip roof. But I think all of it was part of um, putting it all together. So yesterday um, I was up there cleaning up the job site. Today, the carpenters are there finishing the framing of the Casita. And start to framing the rest of the house. All the sips, wall, all the ICF walls were all poured last week, and they've removed all the form blocks. So uh, we've got SIP, SIP ICF walls. The uh, the SIP roofs will arrive in about three weeks, and we'll keep putting it all together. Um, so it should be, it's really going to be fun and in a, a cool place. But it's a lot of work when I'm traveling and trying to build a house with my. The builder I'm using is a called AFT Construction. The fellow's name is Brad Levitt, and what an exceptional builder that I've had a pleasure to work with, and he's done such a phenomenal job of giving lots of range, training his trades. And he's also probably one of the most uh, prolific uh, social media builders. It's called AFT Construction. And um, Brad now has about 140,000 followers on Instagram. And he's really done a lot to raise his bar about his knowledge. And he's always
1: bringing in people to help him.
2: And so him and I have done this collaboratively and it's been really a great experience.
1: So is, is it really designed as a um, show house or a, a demonstration project?
2: Yeah, it'll be uh, you know, I'm gonna um, finish it probably hopefully in July, it should be done. And then I'm gonna have it open for about a year. I'll, I'll live there, but I'm gonna have uh, HBA events. We're gonna have an EBA event there and just try to really demonstrate all of this this process, the technology, you know, heat pumps and the and, uh, ducts and conditioned space. And the whole idea was to kind of do that for about a year, so I would say, latter part of 22 and, and most of 20 early part of 23 we'll all be trying to have some uh, workshops there and things that i do to kind of demonstrate that all of it's being filmed i've got drone footage of the thing since the day we moved dirt and so i've got drone footage of that and then uh, today the videographers up there filming the casita being sheathed with different types of sheathing i'm using flame resistant uh osb in one location that's that's uh, adjacent to the desert which is a, a risk uh spot so we're just trying some different techniques the two other sides are using a uh a, a sheeting weather-based uh, sheeting product. So that's kind of cool. It's kind of product called Weather Logic by uh, LP. So we're trying to put some different things together that allow us to put the right things in the right spot. And I hope that works out.
1: Yeah. So it's really, really different construction than you normally see in Arizona. Um, what, what about uh, our values and whatnot? What tell us what, what the basically code would require and what you, what you've actually done.
2: Yeah, code, code stranger. You know, you you live in a state as well that has no state building code. Arizona doesn't have a state building code either. So what's interesting about that is every jurisdiction gets to pick up their own codes. Like what you've got going on, you know, down in the Castle Rock is different than what they've got out in Evergreen. It's kind of crazy that that there's that variability. So the city of Phoenix is on different code than the city of Scottsdale. Well, Scottsdale has always tried to be very advanced because. Um, They've had some really wonderful people there that have kept pushing Scottsdale to be a a green community. Um, But I would say that what's difficult here is that there's still two by four construction a bit. We're moving towards more two by six, but it's still two by four. Basically an inch of expanded polystyrene on the outside and a scratch coat of stucco. And that is still the lion's share of housing here. So when we look at that people say like oh who cares it's the desert and they still have 5 and 600 dollars a month electric bills in the summer. So yeah. the efficiency goes both directions and I think Arizona and these this area have really suffered from some pretty poor uh efficiency. Um attics all the ducts are in the conditioned space in the unconditioned space. You look up in every attic and it's just filled with uh, you know ductwork yeah. everywhere and 2 4 ton units on a 3000 square foot house it's just amazing. So so the, the progression has really been to look at no insulation under slab, and I have an R15, I have a, a three inches of, of extrude ply styrene, and it's a, a 40 PSI foam under there, so it's got gravel, um, you three inches of foam, uh, a layer of polyethylene stego wrap, and then uh, a five inch slab. So that's really the slab base, and then I've isolated all the, um, the, the, the um, the uh, walls for the slab and all the slab edges from the outside by putting a thermal break of three inches of foam on the on a thermal break it's really interesting detail i did to in, insert it into the slab where the windows and doors will sit so i've got this really nice capillary break and then the icfs go all the way to footing so there's a footing and then the icf walls come up so the slab butts into the icf so we have really nice things there that isolate that the walls will be about an r 30 I used what's called an energy stick, so I slid an additional level layer of foam inside the sleeve of the ICF, so the ICF will overall be uh, just about, just rated 30. Um, And then the roof will have a a sip roof, and what we did is put a truss across the top to carry all the ductwork, all the mechanicals, and the truss roof, and then we're bringing in from Extreme Panel up in Minnesota, uh, they're 8 feet wide and 24 feet long sip panels. And they'll be dropped on top of the trusses and act as a monolithic uh, roof. So it'll just be a, a full layer of ICF or sips up on the roof, and then tying into the ICFs on a, on a vertical wall. So it's going to be really cool. The windows are from Benelli. Um, it's a division of Pella, and they're all triple glazed, and they've got a U value of about anywhere from 0.14 to 0.16. And so we're going to have walls that windows that almost perform like a two by four wall in Arizona. So I, I think it'll be a really cool place that demonstrates what we're not doing here and those kind of increases people are still scratching their head like yeah you don't want to be doing this do you because why would you care it's the desert and i think we're really learning that it matters everywhere
1: yeah it's really important everywhere and uh we're right in the midst of the national uh 2024 code adoption process and even some some small incremental steps to demonstrate that you know, insulation is needed everywhere. House tightness is needed everywhere. Ducks, out, ducks in unconditioned space doesn't make sense everywhere, not just, you know, in, right. in the north. And it, it just, pockets, yeah. I don't quite understand why why it's such a big um, battle to get people to, to say, well, why can't we just have one air leakage rate? That's three air changes for the whole country. You know, it's as equally as important in Arizona as in Minnesota. But they don't yeah, want Yeah,
2: I, th- I think work. it's really sad, actually. No, it's, there's such a little fights, Robbie. You know this better than anybody. You've done such a beautiful job with your with your uh, uh, evaluations on on the code. I think anybody that watches what you've put together, it's, you've done a beautiful job, by the way. And I think that, you know, when, you, when I look at what that knowledge transfer between here's what the code is saying and here's what you need to do is really brilliant. And I, I hope that the success of what you're doing continues to grow because what we really have to do is realize that the baseline is pretty pretty well considered. There's some very bright people, I think, on code, like yourself and all the other people, I think, that you would consider to be peers working on saying, let's get a baseline code that is three or changes per hour should be like, are you kidding me, anything other than higher than that? Because it's so easy to accomplish nowadays. And then we introduced the technology of arrow barrier to get it down. If you want it lower, go ahead. Yeah. But this should be the lowest level and i think that capillary breaks you know thermal breaks all of that stuff in terms of water management really have to be just of the basics and we could do it tomorrow if everybody just committed to it it's not a product missing product it's just missing uh, knowledge and it also isn't cost because the trade-off between reduced um, consumption in energy is always offset by the simplicity of mechanical systems and the lower energy operating costs. And you've done that for years. If you said, if I add $5,000 to the price of the house, um, that that to mortgage is $20 bucks a month. I will save that amount in a heartbeat by um, every month in, in energy, probably double savings. So the, the cash flow is immediate. There's no risk to capital. And uh, we have healthier safer, better buildings. And so it's always so hard for, for you and I and all of us that have been around for so long to why this is such a slog, because it should happen overnight. But now we know that the only obstacle is training, teaching yeah. people how to do it.
1: Yeah. Do you think that your uh, demonstration project uh, will have a, a impact in Arizona?
2: Well, you always hope so, you know. I I, I would say that uh, in the desert, in the desert, and in the Southwest, I think it's going to help. But again, you know, you can have the best project, and if it doesn't get enough recognition or name, uh, uh, I mean, not name, but uh, enough, you know, entry out into the marketplace, then it just becomes another demonstration house. How many have you been involved with, right? You can, Fifty of them, if 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 any. So so the goal is that we've, we're in Professional Builder magazine and another magazine called Iconic Life. But what we're trying to do is just say, hey, we can do this. It isn't complex. There's a lot of different ways to, to, um, to do this. There's a lot, like, I probably have four different wall systems. I got two by six. I got two inches of foam on the outside. I've got different types of sheeting. A lot of ways to do this. And once you make a commitment to it, my rule is always you got to do at least five houses with the same approach. You know, you can change it a little bit. But once you get to the fifth one, you're like, you know, that wasn't too bad. And I could do that again, but I got a couple ideas that I would do this time. I'm like, perfect, now we're on our way because our industry is very smart, very capable of saying, once I understand the idea, I tried a couple times, I can pull this off. But what happens now is that people do it once and they go, yeah, that was really hard. I'm not doing that again, That's that sucked. It was really complicated, the gasket thing. And I no, I'm not doing that. But by the, by the fifth time, and my, my final rule on this is after 10, you'll never go back to anything else. And and I think that when you see it, it seems so practical. You're like, I should have been flashing this way all along. I really should be doing this, it makes good sense. I've torn apart some houses, saw the degradation or saw the failure, saw the energy bills, I should do better. And I think that they wanna do better. Most builders, I believe, truly wanna build the best house they can for their clients. So it's not about cutting corners, it's just about knowledge.
0: Yeah,
1: it is, it's uh, it's an interesting. I uh, had the opportunity to, um, in essence, camp out in a house uh, this weekend uh, before skiing, and the the house isn't done yet, but we were able to uh, spend the night there with a small space heater and be perfectly comfortable uh, because it's doing all the principles cool. that that uh, you're espousing, you know, but up in climate zone seven. Uh, so. It's,
2: it's so <laughs> much amazing, different
1: what yeah. you know what a little bit of house tightness and, and insulation can do for you. So I imagine it's that so your, true Robbie. Your, your house is going to be just so comfortable and anybody just walking into it is going to be able to see that.
2: It's just I think it's the same thing too.
1: Getting the public to, to walk through it is, is the key, I guess to shift shift uh, understanding.
2: Yeah, we have to i think it's always been difficult in our in any industry is that consumer demand drives change right so when consumers say you know this is what i want so that's where like energy star was always a name that get connect got connected to efficiency so if a homeowner said i want an energy star house that was at least a step where people would walk in and say yeah that matters to me and and so the the difficulty is that consumers are willing i think to pay for improved buildings healthier safe more durable you know efficient structures that are sustainable that are also resilient to to the changes that are going on so i don't I think that's all agreed, and homeowners would say if I knew that, I would make that decision i think, but I, I'm afraid that we um we don't do a, a enough job of that. We think everything is about cost and that the, the lowest first cost is the most important. We know that that's a horrible strategy. So if we, if we laid out a program, try to imagine if you said to a consumer, so uh, here's the price of the house. He said, oh, I'd like to get some price down. You'd say, okay, why don't we take out the ventilation and fresh air? I'll, I'll make the house leakier because I can do that for a little less cost. I'll, I'll pull out some of the insulation, probably have a higher energy bill, but I could yank some of that out. And then what I'll do is I'll just do a little bit less. We'll just put the ducts back up in the attic. That'll probably save us a few hundred dollars. I hope that there was not a single person that would go, yeah, yeah, I would like that. So when you flip it around, but what we do now is to go, oh, did you want your ducks in conditioned space? Do I need to? Well, you don't have to. Yeah, I don't wanna do that. So I think what we've done is given given a, a reversal of what is the best way to approach that. Do it always the right the first time and let the homeowner decide if they
1: wanna cut it back and they rarely do. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's so true so uh your project should be done uh by summer or in the fall
2: Let's got my fingers crossed robbie uh with labor issues and um and um you know supply chain stuff uh, i'm really looking for mid-july and it was originally supposed to be done in may but i'm thinking july we're going to pull this off uh the fact that i've got a whole host of carpenters up there today doing what they do um, I'm really excited that we're gonna meet uh, some deadlines there. So at least I know it's gonna happen. It's not just a pile of dirt anymore. So uh, I think there's a nice progress. I can, all the lumber's up there, all the materials are on site. And um, I've got all kinds of weather protection materials. Like I'm, I'm using fluid applied and tapes and different types of sealants. I'm demonstrating all kinds of stuff. So I think we're gonna get there. And um, I think I'll actually live live there um, by midsummer. I'm hoping.
1: Great. And then we can come see it uh, if we come down to the EBA conference?
2: Absolutely, at the EBA conference, we're working a thing out with EBA to, to bring a bus up there and maybe show some people around. I'd love to see you up there, but you'd be welcome anytime. You just come up there and I'll crack a beer, or a bottle of wine, and we'll just sit out on the patio and talk about what we're trying to accomplish. So I'd love to have you here anytime. You're always welcome, Robbie. Right,
1: so you're so busy. Is there anything uh, in the horizon that's really exciting to you?
2: A couple of things. One is that, uh, um, you know, I've got an amazing couple of boys that are in my life. They're, they're uh, you know, 32 and, and 35. So I, my sons are amazing to me and I'm hoping to get to spend a little time with them. But I'm still going to be working pretty hard for the next few years, I think, because I really have a lot I want to accomplish. And then I expect to be getting married in the, in the near future. So that's going to be a big deal. Um, and so uh, my, my fiance, Jennifer and I, we're just kind of working on the house and really spending time uh, trying to figure that part out and then do a little traveling. So, um, but I've got too much to do in this industry till, uh, to take too much of a break. So i like you, uh, we just enjoy what we do so much that I I don't want to do anything else. Um, So this retiring sounds scary more than it sounds like something I'm looking forward to.
1: (laughs) I I definitely understand that. I I think we are really lucky in that, uh, Uh, even though we we're in we're kind of roughly doing the same thing day and day it's it's always new and I feel like I'm still learning so much so I really appreciate your your time you're you're busy guy and I don't want to take too much of it Uh, so thank you so much for joining us on the buildcast
2: it's such a pleasure robbie and and your buildcast has really been very successful and i'd sure encourage people to even go back and look at the other episodes that you've done and people that you've had on and 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 like you said even though we love doing what we do i think it's the people that are some of the finest people i've ever had the pleasure to meet and sometimes you go to summer camp and you meet so many people there you're like i like everybody and so i think we we all we all when you meet people that have done this as a passion and something that they truly believe in right down to their the core those are people you want to be around and 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 uh, that's who i'd like to spend um, enjoy spending my life with so what a great uh, audience we have of friends and i think you're one of those robbie i've always watched what you've done in such a beautiful job of execution and communication and so congratulations on your on your build cast and the other things you're working on and then i continued success
1: yeah well thank you very much and and right back at you Um, i appreciate that
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Buildcast brought to you by Build Tank Inc. To see show notes and learn more about our guests and other episodes, visit the Buildcast page of our website at www.btankinc.com. Thank you Ben Sound for our music and to Ashley Owen for editing it. And you for your encouragement and guidance in the creation of Buildcast. You can listen to Buildcast on anchor, iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite platform. If you enjoyed our show and are willing, please take a moment to subscribe and review BuildCast, which will help others find it more easily. Thanks again for listening, and please let us know who you would like to hear next, and if you have any suggestions to make BuildCast better. Until next time, be safe and continue to think Zero to 360.